You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we'll be in Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 to 21, but hold your place there. I'm just going to read one other verse out of Matthew 4 that will really set the tone for where we're going this morning in Matthew 14. And that's where Jesus said to his disciples, he said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Would you pray with me? Lord, this morning, it's our great joy to be in this place. And what a blessing it is to worship you together as a family. Father, all of us enjoy our times alone in devotion where we lift up our voices and sing to you. But there's something about singing with our brothers and sisters and just hearing that chorus that captures our heart and, and really focuses our attention on that eternal throne room that we read about in the Revelation where all of the angelic host and all of the saints from the very beginning of, of time until the last person will, that, who will be saved is there in your presence, worshiping and praising you. And so, Lord, worshiping you this morning has given a foretaste of heaven, and we're excited about that future. Father, this morning we ask that you would help us, that you'd give us ears to hear, a mind to comprehend, and a heart to receive what you want to speak to us about this very important topic this morning. And so, Lord, we ask now that you would teach us from your word, and we know that you will, because we ask it confidently in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, our opening verse here in Matthew chapter 4 reminds us of what it was that Jesus called the disciples to do, and that was to become fishers of men, to leave the nets behind in the Sea of Galilee where they had been fishers of fish their entire lives. It was their livelihood. It was what they thought they would do until the day they died. But having met Jesus, he called them away from those nets and he said, I will make you fishers of men. And by that, he meant that he was calling them to do the work of the kingdom of God and to faithfully represent him and the message that he brought, the gospel of Christ and all that's associated with it. And to live out that example by showing people the way to salvation. And yet to do that work, the work to which he had called them, would require each of them and us to exercise faith in the Lord. Faith that he could and that he would do the impossible through their lives. In other words, take uneducated fishermen and give them the boldness and give them the eloquence to be able to declare the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And in our text this morning, what we're going to do is join the disciples as they're growing and learning in this new lesson of faith, what I like to call the King's School of Ministry. Now, a little background. For those of you who may not be familiar with the Gospels, each of the Gospels was inspired by the Holy Spirit to reach a different audience. We're grateful for all four, but each of them originally was kind of targeting a different audience. And the Gospel of Matthew is written specifically to the Jewish people who are asking this question. If Jesus is the Messiah, that is the promised coming king, where is the kingdom? Because they were looking for a kingdom on earth. And so Matthew in the Gospel deals with that issue from his first chapter all the way to the end of chapter 28. And in Matthew, he quotes more from the Old Testament than all of the other three Gospels combined. Why? Because he's writing to Jews who know the Old Testament. They're looking for the Messiah. They're looking for the king. They're looking for the kingdom. And Matthew explains to them that the kingdom has come in a spiritual sense. The physical kingdom won't come until the king returns to redeem his people. And so this morning, we look at the king's school of ministry. Now, it's not just for the disciples. But if you are born again this morning, if you are a Christian, you are, like me, enrolled in the king's school of ministry ministry. Now, you didn't know that, perhaps, but when you became a Christian, you were immediately enrolled in that school. And this is an exciting section of Scripture because it lays the foundation for all of us how you and I are called to do life and ministry, the ministry that King Jesus has called each of us to be involved in. And in our text, you and I are going to discover this morning three biblical principles that will always, and without exception, be a part of our life and ministry. And so the first thing that each of us will always need is love. 
The second thing that you and I will always need in this life is faith. And the third thing that you and I will always need, and without exception need, is Jesus. The truth is that you and I cannot navigate life successfully, nor do ministry the way that God would have us to do it without these essential elements of love, faith, and Jesus. And so the Lord, as we'll learn in the text this morning, in the disciples' lives and our lives, he carefully orchestrates events and situations and circumstance in life to put us into always and forever until we're glorified new opportunities to grow our faith. And so we begin in Matthew 14, verses 13 and 14. It says, when Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out and he saw, <clears throat> excuse me, a great multitude, he was moved with compassion for them and he healed their sick. Now these opening verses here in Mark 14, or Matthew 14 remind us that in life and in ministry, all day, every day, we are always going to need love. That is, we see here that the demands of life and ministry are oftentimes going to push us way beyond our limits, physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And it's then that our Christ-likeness will be most severely tested. Haven't you noticed that trials and tests of faith come often when you're down, weak physically, when you're maybe emotionally burdened, where you're spiritually feeling weak, and it's then that the test comes? Oh man, well that's the toughest time to be Christ-like. No, I want to be tested when I'm up, when I'm excited, when I'm full of you know, joy and, and happiness and I can take on anything. But that's not when those tests come. They come when we're down. And the reality is that in those times when you and I are tempted to react in a carnal way, to lash out in the flesh, to act selfishly rather than selflessly, it's then that we need to remember that true love, real love, that agape, that's the Greek word for divine love, must be our guiding principle in life and in ministry, for without it we cannot represent Jesus properly. Now, I want to give you the context so you understand what I'm communicating here about Jesus and the way he gives us an example about how to love when you're down. There in verse 13, it says, when Jesus heard it, what he had just heard was that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been beheaded by Herod. And in these verses, Jesus responding to that news that his cousin had just been killed by Herod, withdrew into the wilderness to be by himself with his heavenly father. Now, the scripture doesn't tell us the purpose for which he withdrew, but we might, in a sanctified kind of way, think that perhaps... It was to contemplate his cousin John's sacrifice. John the Baptist, who had faithfully given his life to prepare the people of Israel for the coming Messiah. John, who had faithfully pointed to Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John, who had faithfully preached and done all that the Father had given him to do, now he had been killed because he had spoken the truth. And perhaps Jesus just wanted time alone to contemplate that sacrifice. Perhaps it was to contemplate his own sacrifice. Jesus understood the Father's timetable and he knew that he too was about to lay down his life, that he was going to become a sacrifice through a brutal death on a Roman cross. And maybe he just needed time alone having heard of John's death to now think about his soon crucifixion and just to be able to contemplate that, think on that, dwell on that, and seek strength from his Father to continue in the ministry. Or perhaps he just wanted to seek the comfort of his heavenly father. Jesus, who had been throughout all of eternity in perfect union with the father, now separated, having come to this earth to live as our, as our Messiah, he now would seek the comfort of the father that he might receive all that he would need to continue on in ministry. And by the way, we see Jesus doing that all through his, through his gospel ministry, often withdrawing just to go to the Father to receive the strength and the comfort and the peace that he needed to continue to do all that the Father called him to do. Well, whatever the purpose is, this much we know. Jesus wanted to be alone and have time with his Father. 
time away from the crowds and the business of life and ministry, the constant demands of people touching him and pushing on him and you're crying out, heal me, touch me, whatever. He just wanted to be alone so that he could refocus on his heavenly father, to have time alone to get ready for that next step in ministry. Well, here's the application for you and I this morning. You and I all need rest and restoration in life. The reality is that life will drain you. And then if you add on top of that ministry, which by the way is the most exciting thing a man or a woman can be involved in, serving God. There is no greater calling, whether it's serving children or whether it's street evangelism or whatever it is God's called us to do individually. There's nothing more exciting than doing that for the Lord. But what you'll find is that with life and all the draining that life is, and then on top of that ministry and the burden that that is, you're going to find that when you do the work of the Lord, you're going to find periods of time where you are just taxed out, tapped out physically and emotionally and spiritually. In fact, you're just going to be playing worn out. And if you're not careful, you might burn out. And we want to avoid that. I think, for example, of uh, one of my assisting pastors back in Arkansas. A dear friend of mine who <clears throat> worked for a Walmart corporate back in Northwest Arkansas, and he was uh, uh, executive vice president over fresh meats for Walmart and, and Sam's Club and all that. And this is a guy that, that uh, on a given week might be called to fly to Washington, D.C. to testify before Congress about why Sam's Club and Walmart was buying lamb from New Zealand rather than Montana. And then the next day, get on a plane and go to Hawaii for a big trade show. And then the next day, be in Brussels. And this is a guy that's making serious money, a guy with serious influence, a guy that is really, really busy. I bring him on staff, and in one month of a church, small church, church of about 350 people, at the end of four weeks, he looked at me and said, this is the hardest job I've ever done in my life. <laughs> I'm thinking, really? Yes, really, because that's ministry. Well, friends, what do we do when we're feeling tapped out? What do we do when we're exhausted? What do we do when, when we're trying to get alone in some quiet time and we're confronted by the crowds? Well, again, we follow Jesus' example. Uh, when we feel tapped out, we need to be intentional about making Sabbath time. It might just be a, an hour at lunch where you just lock the door to your office, turn off the lights, and lay on the floor just between you and the Lord and just, Lord, I need your power fresh and new to come upon me to give me the physical strength, the emotional strength, the mental clarity, and, and the spiritual uh, gifting that I need to continue to, 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 to get through this day. It might be a, a weekend away or a week off or maybe a sabbatical. But the reality is Jesus reminds us that we all need to take time away from life and ministry so that we might be refreshed by the Lord, so that we can continue to represent him properly and that we might endure in ministry. And that's important because statistically, here in the United States, about 1,200 pastors leave the ministry every month here in the United States. And most of them for burnout, where they are just exhausted physically, emotionally, and spiritually. They have nothing left to give. And they look at themselves and they, they, just kind of, they just get desperate and they think there's just nothing more I can give and so I'm just going to walk away from ministry and I'm going to go sell insurance or do something else. And by the way, nothing wrong with selling insurance, but if you're called to be a pastor, you need to be a pastor and not out there doing something different. We need to remember that if Jesus, the Son of God, needed time alone, friends, how much more do you and I need time alone to seek the strength and the refreshment that only our Father can give us? I want to give you a recommendation. If you're involved in any types of, type of ministry, I want to give you two book recommendations that, I, that have been a lifesaver to me that I encourage you to read. The first was called Leading on Empty. And so if you've been called to a place of ministry, especially in a place of leadership, it's a book that is going to be life to you because he lays a great biblical foundation for how to practice a life of refreshment and refilling so that we don't burn out and we can give a whole life to the Lord. The second book is titled, Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome. Again, just an absolute gem from the Lord to help people in ministry to, to look at ministry the way that God does and not to measure ministry by the, success, by the term success as the world uses it. So two great books if you're involved in any kind of ministry to help you endure so that you can serve until the Lord calls us to be at home, whether it be the rapture of the church or you individually as he brings you home. Well, back to our text, and in my notes I say, but the people. 
In other words, Matthew tells us when Jesus sought to be alone, to have time with his father, to be refreshed so that he might continue to minister, to get away from the business of life, the business of ministry, but the people, when they heard that Jesus had gone and where he was going, they ran around the lake because they were sure that he wanted them to be with him. (laughs) Oh, so much for quiet time. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was Jesus, that would have really ticked me off. (laughs) I mean, I purposely go across the Sea of Galilee, out into the middle of nowhere, so I can be alone with my Heavenly Father. I wake up the next day, and there's like 12,000 people out there. Now, we're estimating because it tells us that they fed 5,000 here, but that's speaking of the men in the crowd, and Bible students suggest that the men with their wives and their children, at least 12,000 people. So you can imagine waking up thinking, oh, a little time with, oh, (laughs) right? And just this mass of people, and they all want you and your time and attention. Well, I would think, how inconsiderate, (laughs) How inconsiderate are these crowds? How selfish are these people? Can't they, can't they just give me one day alone? That's the way I would have reacted. That would be the natural reaction of our fleshly nature. And I would suggest the way the disciples probably were thinking as revealed in verse 15. But that's not the way Jesus responded. No, look, as the Lord looked at them, it says he had compassion on them. Because Jesus was always motivated by a selfless love In other words, he was concerned more about the others than he was about himself. And he always put their needs before his. And in so doing, Jesus provides you and I with a practical example of how we are called to do ministry in life. And by the way, I would define ministry in life as if you're a husband, that means ministry to your wife. If you're a father or a mother, it means ministry to your spouse and your children. In other words, you minister to the people that God's given your home, and then you minister to work, and then you minister to whatever God's called you. But here he gives us a practical example of how we are to minister to others. Again, whether it's in Christian ministry, whether it's in your home, whether it's with your employees or your employer, Jesus reminds us that we are to respond to people, listen, selflessly, selflessly, with compassion, and perhaps the most difficult, without complaining. Because <laughs> I tell, I don't know about you, but I can fake it sometimes. I look compassionate. Oh, oh Pastor Paul, he's just giving me all his attention. and Man, he's just listening to every word. And in my head, I'm thinking, are they ever going to stop talking? Because I'm starving, right? Now, I may not complain out loud, right? But in my head, I start to complain. By the way, if you come up and want to talk to me afterwards, I'm not going to think those thoughts. Okay, so let's just clarify <laughs> Other people, other congregations I'm talking about. Here's the point. To respond selflessly with compassion without complaining requires us to walk in and to minister by the power and the patience of the Holy Spirit. Because our natural reaction is to see people as an inconvenience or a nuisance, listen, rather than as an opportunity to do ministry for the Lord. And the words to recognize, whoa, God's brought these people to me so that I might be able to use the gifts he's given me to have somehow influence and impact their lives. Instead of, uh, gosh, what an inconvenience, right? What a nuisance. Well, friends, have you ever noticed that crises and emergencies never come on schedule? <laughs> in other words, it's, it's never when you have extra time in your life where you could kind of in your, you know, your planner or on your iPhone just set up, all right, from 12 to 5 on Tuesday, I'm going to set up a time for emergencies. So if you're going to have an emergency this week, that's when I'm available. No. It always comes when you're just maxed out. You have no time for anything and you're busy, right? And here we're reminded that the servant of God must be willing to serve God's people, whether that be our family or the church, even when it's not convenient to do so. And so when the Lord opens the door of ministry, even if it doesn't fit your schedule, even if it doesn't work in my schedule, even if I don't want to do it, even if it's really something we don't enjoy, or we might say, that's just not in my wheelhouse, that's not my gift, that's not my talent. Listen, we need to stop and ask the Lord, Lord, have you brought this need my way? Because not every need that comes our way are we to fill, but we do need to ask the Lord, is this an opportunity that you've given me to be a minister of your love to this group of people? 
we need to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit even when we, or excuse me, even as we see Jesus do in this situation. Well, friends, as we move forward, the reality is that we're gonna find ourselves in life and ministry pushed beyond our limits. And that's the reality of doing ministry in a fallen world. In other words, we have an enemy working against us all day, every day, a world system working against us all day, every day, people working against us all day, every day. We're living in a fallen world, and so ministry is gonna push us beyond our limits. And so we need to look to the Lord when we've run out of strength and patience and, and compassion. And we need to pray like Jesus did, seeking his Father, seeking time alone, and then remembering what the disciples did in Acts chapter four where they were tapped out and afraid to continue to minister. And they simply cried out to the Lord that he would fill them fresh and new with his spirit. And of course he did. And we read the place was shaken where they were assembled and they were filled with all boldness and strength and went out to preach the gospel again. And we need to remember that Christ alone can impart the physical energy needed for ministry to give us the right attitude to represent him properly to other people. And even the joy of the Lord to do something we thought we didn't want to do or thought we wouldn't find any joy in or thought they weren't called to do. And then in the middle, we experience this great joy as the Lord uses us to advance his kingdom. And so the first point that we need to remember in the King's School of Ministry is that you and I will always need love. Verses 15 to 17. Our next point, it says, when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place and the hour is already late. So here's the disciples instruction, (laughs) send the multitudes away. In other words, get rid of these people that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, (laughs) "Uh, we only have Five loaves and two fish. Now, let me give you a perspective. Five, five loaves, probably a five little pita, and then two locks, like locks and bagels. In other words, this is somebody's lunch. <laughs> the second lesson that Jesus taught the disciples in the school of ministry is that you are always in life going to need faith. That is, faith isn't a lesson that you and I learn one time, and then we get our little diploma signed by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We put it in our office, and we point to people, yeah, got my certificate of faith, I'm good to go, bro. Let's, let's take on ministry. Uh, no, we need new faith each and every day. We've heard it said that faith is like a muscle, and we need to exercise it in order to grow it and make it stronger. In other words, before we can trust God for really, really big things, He helps us to trust him in little things. And then as we grow that faith through practice, we get to the place where we're strong enough in our faith to trust him for really, really big things. And the point is that the Lord is gonna continue to set up lessons in life, situations and circumstances where you and I are gonna be presented with something way outside of the resources that we possess. And it's another opportunity for us to grow our faith in Jesus. And that's gonna continue throughout our life until the Lord calls us home. We never ever graduate from the King's School of Ministry or from faith until we've been perfected in glory. Well, the disciples' lesson of faith came as a result of their retreat with Jesus into a deserted place. In other words, Jesus specifically picked a place far from any town, far from any city, right? Because he wanted to be alone. (laughs) And that's where the crowds now come, but that kind of presents now the difficulty of the situation. That is with the arrival of this huge crowd of people, they find themselves with a whole new problem, and that is they simply do not have enough food to feed everyone. It's a big group. Again, it tells us in verse 21, about 5,000 men, so specifically men. And again, Bible students will say, well, if they each had a wife or maybe half had their wives and some kids and all that, you could uh, safely estimate there's probably 12,000 hungry mouths to feed. And the point is that even if they did have enough money to purchase food to feed this massive crowd, uh, there's not a Costco down the street. Uh, There's not a, you know, a Save Mart. There's not a, you know, a, a Smart and Final. There's nowhere you can buy enough food to feed all these people. So it didn't matter how much money you had. There's just no way you're gonna feed these people. Why? Because you're in a deserted place. There are no stores. There's nowhere to go. And this creates a new problem for them. Or if we look at it from the Lord's perspective, 
in the school of ministry, it's a new opportunity <laughs> to learn a lesson of faith. Again, kind of get a mental picture about what's going on here, what Matthew's describing. According to Matthew, and then the parallel account in Mark's gospel in chapter six, the disciples at this point had just returned from a great time of ministry. You go back and read Mark, and you find out that just before this event, Jesus sent the 12 out and gave them power over demons to cast out demons and power to preach the gospel and heal the sick and raise the dead and all that. They'd gone out and done that two by two. They came back to Jesus, and these guys were riding high. <laughs> I mean, Peter and James were like, Lord, you wouldn't believe it. Demons submitted to us in your name. Like, whoa, we cast out demons. We healed the sick. Like, we preached the gospel. People got saved. And you can imagine that this group of disciples that we know pretty well from the gospel accounts, a little bit arrogant at this point. We're probably like, you know, check it out, dude. With this finger, I cast five demons out. Look at that finger right there. (laughs) Oh, I I healed people just in the name of Jesus and blind eyes were, were able to see, right? And so these guys at this point, they're probably thinking, man, I am like Elijah, Moses, God's man of faith and power. Bring on the demons. Bring out the sick. I can handle this. Oh, until they are now presented with a situation they've never had to deal with before. In other words, with the casting out of demons and the preaching the gospel and the healing the sick and all that, they'd already seen Jesus demonstrate that. Now they're in a situation they have never, ever seen Jesus handle before. It's a new lesson of faith. They've got a problem and there's no natural solution. And again, they've never seen Jesus handle something like this, so they don't even know where to begin. They know they don't have the resources, and they know they don't have the money, and they have no clue where to begin. Worse, they go to Jesus and go, hey, by the way, Lord, <laughs> kind of getting late, sun's going down, there's a lot of people here, they're probably hungry. Let's send them to in and out right? And Jesus says in verse 16, hey, you guys give them something to eat. <laughs> I can imagine Peter and John kind of looking at each other going, right, sun's getting He's been out, he, he probably hasn't had enough nourishment today. I think he's not, I don't think Jesus is thinking clearly at this point. Did you hear what he said? You, you give them something to eat, right? And what the disciples may have thought was Jesus' poor attempt at humor, they soon discover is another lesson that he set up that they might grow their faith. And again, it's a reminder that you and I will never graduate from the school of faith until we reach heaven. Friends, as I said in the introduction, as long as you and I are here on earth, the Lord is going to continue to accept new opportunities for us to grow in our faith. And as we do, we're going to discover new depths of the Lord's provision and faithfulness. In other words, the faith that we began with is not the faith that we are going to have one day because he's growing us so that we can do greater and greater works for the Lord. And haven't you found that to be true in your own life? In other words, what, what was, you know, faith when you were a brand new baby believer versus the faith you have now, oh, two very different places in your spiritual walk. Listen, what I found in life, and you probably have too, is just about the time I think I've got faith figured out. Like I feel like pretty confident now. I've been doing this for a few years. 46 years, in fact, I mean, read the Bible, I don't know, 25 times. I preached studies and sermons and taught at Bible college. I'm feeling pretty confident right about now. And then here comes a curveball that then turns into a fastball that then becomes a knuckleball, and I'm like, "Ah, I don't know what to do. And what the Lord is doing in your life and mine is he's growing our faith. (laughs) He'll throw us into a situation where you and I don't have the foggiest idea of where to even begin. And that's where we're going to cry out, Lord, what are you doing? <laughs> and as Cindy whispers, what do you got? <sighs> Five loaves and two fish. But what, what is this amongst such a crowd? All right, you're on the right track. We're going to teach you a new lesson of faith here. Again, friends, before we can ever trust the Lord for something really big, we've got to learn to trust him for things that are smaller, things that we think are within what is reasonable. For example, I remember when, when being in this church way back downtown on 10th and F, and God had to stretch the faith of our dear pastor and the staff here by trusting God for the rent money for that warehouse on 10th and F to build this facility 20 years later. I mean, it's like, 
you don't want to start with this. You want to start with like a Mary Kay facility where it's $50 a month. <laughs> it's like, listen, if we don't get any tithes and offerings, I can handle that, right? That's the, that's the amount of faith we have to get to the point where, yeah, let's break ground on 26 acres. So we're going to build a facility. It's 1,300 people and it's going to have a children's wing. And it's, going to have, it's like, what? And God's always going to be stretching us. And he grows our faith by teaching us to trust him first for those small things. Things, again, that were in our own estimation, we think, okay, that, that's possible. And then he's going to teach us to trust him, th- trust him for bigger things, things that you and I would deem to be impossible. And again, we see this illustrated in David's life. Long before David ran into battle against the Philistine giant, he had learned of God's faithfulness and his strength by defending his father's sheep, first from a lion and then a bear. So that when he walks out into the field to meet the giant from Gath, he says, who is this Philistine? I'm going to do what I did to that lion and the bear. I'm going to take your head off your shoulders. I'm going to feed your body to the birds of the air. Not just you, but all the Philistines. (laughs) And Goliath's just like, oh boy, who is this little runt? Give me my spear. I'm just going to put an end to this. Then he's done. Well, friends, back to the disciples. They'd already learned many important lessons of faith. Yet they still lack the faith that they would need after Jesus returned to heaven to do what he called them to do, to be fishers of men and to fulfill the great commission to take the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Whoa, that was going to be a big, big ask. And they weren't going to be able to do that after Jesus left until they learned the lessons of faith that Jesus was teaching them. And so Jesus now asked the disciples to do what was impossible on their own, but fully possible by faith in him. And so the second point in the King's School of Ministry is that you and I throughout this life are going to need faith. And then finally, verses 18 to 21, we will always need Jesus. Note the solution to their problem. Jesus said, bring them here to me. That is the five loaves and two fish. And then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and he broke and he gave the loaves to the disciples and the disciples gave to the multitudes. And so they all ate and were filled and they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men and then notice besides women and children. So that's where we get our probably 12,000 people. And here the disciples are reminded that the solution to every problem in life, every crisis they'll face, every, every test of faith that they're going to have in life is always going to be Jesus. In other words, the Lord was reminding them that they are always going to need him to do the work to which he'd called them because it was a spiritual work. And that the way to meet the practical needs of the people in whatever aspect that they were going to minister was always to stick Jesus right in the middle of the problem. And Jesus is more than sufficient to meet every crisis in life, every need in life, every problem in life. We always will need Jesus. I want you to notice carefully that Jesus gives us an illustration of how we put him into those difficult situations in life. In other words, how we put our faith in Jesus to do the impossible. Notice, number one, Jesus says, bring what you have to me. And in any issue that we're dealing with life, bring what you have to Jesus. That is, Jesus says, look around, see what you've got, what resources are available, and then bring them to me. Here, the disciples report, and it's a sad report. <laughs> uh, I got five loaves and two fish. And again, this isn't like, you know, big round, you know, French loaf, you know, right out of Panera's oven or something like this. No, probably five little pita, two fish. It's some kid's lunch, <laughs> Right. And it's confirmation that by themselves, the disciples do not have the natural resources to meet the needs of these hungry people. Jesus says the solution, bring what you have to me. And the point is, and the application for you and I is this. Everything that the Lord will ask you and I to do is going to be beyond our capacity naturally and our resources naturally to perform it. Otherwise, faith would not be required. And so the lesson for you and I is to take what you have, whatever the resources they might be, and simply bring it to Jesus and just, make, and just offer to him, Lord, this is all I got to meet the need. Show me what to do. Friends, you and I sometimes in life and in ministry may find that our only resource is our availability. 
In other words, we might be put in a situation where this is not my gifting, this is not my calling, this is not my, you know, I'm just looking, I, I'm not the right person for this, this, to meet this need. And yet you're the person, that man or woman that God has placed in that situation at that time for that purpose. And so all you may have is your availability. And so what we do is, Lord, <laughs> here I am, your servant. Do with me as you wish. Equip me as you, as you might. Strengthen me so that I might meet this need. And then watch what God will do. And again, you may not have a skill or a special talent, or you might not even think you look very good. <laughs> but the reality is that you just bring what you have to Jesus and let him do the rest. Once a thing or life is placed in the hands of Jesus, he can do what is impossible. Let me illustrate this way. I was in Nigeria with a, a couple of friends of mine, Pastor Jeff and Pastor Jim, and we were doing a series of conferences teaching pastors and leaders, and my part was teaching about how to prepare a Bible study, how to teach, all that. I'm in my, in my game right there. But then they had an outreach at an outdoor soccer stadium, and they built a big stage, and, and thousands of people were to come to this thing, and each night, one of us pastors was going to do an evangelistic message. And so I looked at Jim, and I looked at Jeff, and goes, all right, you guys are on, because that is not me. <laughs> and so the first night, Jim got up there, and, and he, just had, I mean, he just had the crowd eating out of his hand. He gives an altar call. Hundreds of people come forward. I mean, it was amazing. Next night, Pastor Jeff gets up, does an amazing evangelistic you know, message, calls the people forward to the end, and hundreds of people come forward. And then it's my night, I'm going, guys, listen, I am not an evangelist. I'm a teacher. That's what I do. I'm not an evangelist. So there I am <laughs> at night in Nigeria, preaching to a you know, huge crowd of a few thousand people. And I give my little study that I felt like God had called me to give. And I go ahead and give the evangelistic message. I give the altar call and we wait and no one moves. <laughs> I look over at Pastor Jeff and Pastor Jim. They won't even look at me. They're like this. <laughs> it's like, I, I told you guys. I mean, I told, right? So I get, Holy Spirit says, just do it again. So I give the altar call again. Nobody moves. I'm like, all right, well, let's just end this painful experience. I'm just going to close in prayer. So I go to close in prayer and then I hear this noise. And as I open my eyes after I prayed, there's hundreds of people that came forward to receive the Lord. They thought that they were supposed to wait until I prayed. <laughs> so anyway, here I am, not the evangelist, and it's like, hey, you're the guy. Bring what you have, and Jesus will use it. Number two, notice he blessed what they gave them, or gave him. That is, once a thing or a life is placed in the hands of Jesus, he blesses it, and what was once inadequate or insufficient or esteemed as nothing, blessed by Jesus, now becomes the provision to more than abundantly meet the needs that are presented. Because in the hands of Jesus, everyone and everything has unlimited potential. I illustrate it this way. The famous artist, Spanish artist Picasso, during his later parts of his life, when he was already had some, some world renown and his paintings were selling for tens of thousands of dollars, when friends of his find, would find themselves in a hard place, maybe they couldn't make the mortgage payment or pay their taxes or buy groceries, they would find him in a local cafe and they would come and say, you know, Pablo, would you, just, would you give me something that I can sell? And he would literally take a napkin off the table and just kind of draw something, sign it, Pablo Picasso, hand it to him, and they would take that little Pablo Picasso napkin and go sell it for thousands of dollars because of who, you know, drew on the napkin. And then they could pay their mortgage or their taxes or buy groceries or whatever. Well, how much more then, when you and I place our lives, the canvas of our lives in the hands of the master creator, that he might do the extraordinary through you and I. And so, point number two is he blessed what they gave them or what they gave him. Number three, notice that Jesus took what they gave him and then he broke it. And there's a principle we find in scripture from Genesis to Revelation that before a thing or a person can be of any use to God, he has to break it before it can be useful to the king. You look at a very hero of the faith who first had to experience the breaking of their pride or their self-will or their fear that they might be able to do ministry God's way and not their way. I think of Moses and Peter who had to be broken of their self-sufficient pride. I think of Jonah who had to be broken of his hatred and prejudice to be able to effectively share with a, a, a wicked city that they might repent. I think of Queen Esther who had to have her fear broken so that she could go before the king and save her people. 
But the point is that once broken, each of these people, Moses and Peter and Jonah and Esther, and a multitude of others that we read in Scripture and throughout church history, have been used by God to do great wonders after God has broken them. Well, friends, for you and I, listen, you and I all come to faith with a lot of baggage. In other words, we weren't perfect people when we came to Jesus. No, we were very imperfect with a lot of issues and a lot of problems. That's why we came to be saved. We needed a Savior. And God needs to work to break our pride, our self-will. Or maybe you came to Christ so hurt by others that you had said you will never make yourself vulnerable to people again. And that needs to be broken so that God can use you to reach people. And the point is that before the Lord can use us for, the, for his glory, he first has to break us of ourselves, our hardened heart, our pride, or maybe that unwillingness again to make ourselves vulnerable. But once we've been freed of our dependence upon ourselves and our resources, it's then that Jesus can use us to do great things for his kingdom and his people. I think of Gideon and his band of 300. Remember, it started out with 30,000. God said, oh, no, you got way too many people. <laughs> and he had to whittle it down to 300 men so that they, God could work a great miracle to destroy the enemy so that no one could say, oh, yeah, it was uh, my great uh, spear skills and my uh, incredible archery skills. No, they knew for certain that 300 can't defeat that huge, massive army out of the east. No, it was God who did that after he broke that 30,000 and brought them in on 300. Number four, Jesus distributed what was broken. That is, once it is broken, a thing or a person, Jesus can then distribute the pieces to meet the needs and more so to abundantly meet the needs of the people way more than you or I would have thought possible. And here we're told that those five little pita breads, those two little pieces of dried fish, were multiplied to feed more than 12,000 people probably, again, 5,000 men plus women and children, reminding us, by the way, that ministry opportunities always grow. (laughs) They don't get less. By way of illustration, I remember back in Arkansas, after five years working bivocationally, full-time in a, in, a, in a regular eight-to-five kind of job, and planning a church, teaching two Bible studies a week, doing weddings, doing funerals, counseling, and all that stuff. Finally, at the end of five years, I was able to go full-time at the church, and I thought, I'm going to have so much time. <laughs> now that I'm full-time at the church, I don't have a secondary job, I, I'm going to be able to devote myself to hours and hours of just time with the Lord and the study of His Word. What a dreamer. Oh, no, just the Lord kept multiplying ministry opportunities. The reality is that we find that in our lives, when we give ourselves to Jesus, and he blesses us, and he breaks us, that he's then going to distribute our lives into more ways than we ever thought we could possibly be used. And that's part of the excitement of doing the work of the Lord. That is, the more you and I are distributed the less there is of us to give and the more that Jesus gets the glory for the many needs that are met through our broken and blessed lives. John the Baptist once said to his disciples, he, speaking of Jesus, must increase, I must decrease. The secret to a successful ministry of his life is recognizing that he must increase and I must decrease. And then finally, notice Jesus multiplied what they gave him. We notice that Jesus took the little that they had placed in his hands, blessed with his lips, broken by his will, distributed by his design. He then did what for man was impossible. He multiplied the few resources that they had to more than abundantly meet the needs of the people. In other words, he didn't just feed them. No, there was enough that they picked up leftovers, and not just leftovers, but more leftovers than they began with. And did you notice there in verse 20 how many baskets of leftovers there were? I don't think it's a coincidence. There were 12 baskets. How many disciples was Jesus teaching this lesson of faith to? 12. In my mind, I don't know, we'll have to ask when we get to heaven, but in my mind, I think Jesus did on purpose that Peter and James and John and Matthew, they each had their own basket of leftovers to carry around for the next week or two to remind them, right, yeah, what are you doing? I, it's a basket of leftovers. We had five fish, two loaves, and this, I, I like this thing. Look at this thing, right? Each of them had this, their own basket to remind them that all they need is Jesus to meet the needs of the people. To do that which we deem impossible, Jesus can more than adequately meet. 
And friends, for you and I, it reminds us that faith will require us to believe not only that God can do the impossible, but that he will do it. But oftentimes in my life and yours, our logic, our fear, our limited understanding would all keep us from exercising the faith that we need to express in God. But even as Jesus used this new situation that we've read about here in Matthew 14 to teach his disciples a new lesson of faith and to grow their faith, so too the Lord will do in our lives. He's going to present us new and different opportunities to stretch our faith, that we might grow in our faith to trust him not only that he can do, but that he will do so that he might use each of us to do amazing things in these last days to accomplish his ministry. And so the third point in the King's School of Ministry is that you'll always need Jesus. Well, friends, it's a great adventure. There is no greater adventure than following Jesus. And yet, as we've just read in this section of Scripture, there are going to be times, in fact, oftentimes, in life and ministry where our faith is going to be tested and grown. And I want to encourage you, don't be afraid, don't panic, don't get hung up by your own limitations. Just stop and recognize, no, no, no. <laughs> the Lord is simply bringing me into that next class experience. It's a new is a new it's a new lesson on faith and we always need to be reminded that we always need love so our job is to simply keep loving we're always going to need faith so we're called to keep on trusting we'll always need jesus to put him in the middle of each and every situation that we find ourselves in and if we keep it simple we'll find the lord will use your life to bring him glory in ways you could have never imagined let me just close with this 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 one example when we were in Arkansas, the church that I was pastoring, we had planted and pastored, had grown to the place where I really did need to be full-time at the church and not working bivocationally. And yet the church didn't have the resources to be able to pay a pastor full-time. We had enough money to pay our mortgage and to buy curriculum for the children's ministry and snacks and refreshments for the people and toilet paper for the bathrooms and just all the basic stuff. There wasn't a penny extra to put a pastor on staff full-time. And I knew that the Lord wanted me to go full-time, but I, I didn't see how it was possible. Well, time came, I was working for J.B. Hunt Transport. They're the big trucking company. You see their trucks all over the place. And um, we got a new boss. And it was a, it was a gal, and, and in the trucking industry, it's a typically male-dominated industry. And so she, she kind of came in thinking, like, I got to show these guys that I'm as tough as any of the other men. So day one, she calls me into her office and says, hey, um, I notice here that you're only put in 45 hours a week. Okay, she said, your salary, you, you, you belong to me. <laughs> she said, I'm gonna need you to work late during the week and I'm gonna need you to work weekends. I go, whoa, time out, stop there. When I took this job, I said, uh, I negotiated with human resources that I'm a pastor first and so Wednesdays, I'm out here at five because I have a Wednesday night study to teach and I don't do weekends because I'm a pastor. I teach, do weddings, everything, and that's on the weekend. And she looked at me and said, well, that's just not gonna do it. You're gonna have to put in extra hours. So I go back to my desk, and I'm just distressed, thinking, what am I going to do? And I thought, you know, if I, if I wasn't married, if I didn't have a family, I'd just turn to my resignation today. <laughs> turn to my resignation today and sleep at the church and, and, and bathe at the YMCA and, you know, stand in the corner with a please feed me site. No, I'm not really, but right? And so I meet my, my wife for lunch. I'm thinking, you know, what, what in the world am I going to do? I, I, I can't. I can't accommodate my boss's desire and pastor a church, but I know this is church's first. So I share with my wife what's going on, and I, and I said to her, I said, honey, I, if I was single, I mean, if I wasn't married, I'd just sleep at the church and, and shower at the YMCA and, and make that work. And she looked at me and goes, turn in your resignation. We'll all sleep at the church. <laughs> By the way, guys, if you're in ministry, you want to marry a woman like that, right? It's like, oh, so I go back to work after lunch. I type out my resignation, walk in, head of my boss. She's, whoa, right? Well, by the way, that was on a Wednesday. So five o'clock, I'm out of there, and I head to church to teach that night. And back then, the church was still pretty young. We're five years into it. And on a Wednesday night, uh, you might get 25 adults at that point in the church, you know. So all through worship, I'm thinking, instead of worshiping the Lord, I'm thinking, I am a moron. I am a moron. I am a moron. I have just turned in my resignation. I have a wife and three kids and rent to pay and a church. And it's like, and, I, and the whole time I'm thinking, okay, maybe if I call my buddy Steve, he could teach me to do vinyl work. It's about $1,000 to get the vinyl kit and I could do you know, vinyl repair at car lots and, and, and the boat docks and all that. My mom would probably lend me the $1,000 to get the kit. I'm not thinking about Jesus or anything. 
Worship ends, and now it's time for me to walk in the pulpit. I look out, there's probably 40, 45 people. I'm thinking, what? Thank you, Lord, for that encouragement. So I'm excited. I'm teaching the word, and it's just, thank you, Lord, for that little encouragement. And by the way, the only people in the world that know I've resigned is my boss and my wife and the Lord. At the end of the service, we're standing at the back, and it's pretty much the end of of the night, getting ready to lock things up, and my mother-in-law walks in with this envelope. She goes, some lady in the parking lot handed this to me and says for the offering. I said, we don't take offerings on Wednesday night. My mother-in-law said, well, that's what I told this lady. I said, who was it? She says, I don't know. So I take the envelope, it's thick, and I'm like, wow, this feels like cash. So I call two of the, the deacons, and I, uh, deacons, and I say, listen, uh, guys, take this into the office, do what you do on a Sunday morning, you know, account and account for it, uh, sign off and make the deposit. They come back a little later, and they look at me and go, Pastor Paul, it was like $5,000 in cash. I'm like, no, was it? <laughs> How much? 5,000, what? what? And I hear the Lord speak to me, I can take care of you. Oh, yes, you can, can't you? So I went ahead and resigned. Two weeks, you know, did put my two weeks in. I went full-time on staff. And again, and we're, looking at our, we're looking at the numbers as a board of directors, and there's not enough money for Pastor Paul to get paid. Every week for the next, I don't know how many months, there would just be massive amounts of $100 bills stuffed into the offering. It's like, and I'm looking at my congregation, this, these are, for the most part, these are just hourly labors. There, there's a, it wasn't like, you know, Mr. Walton was sitting in the back, uh, you know, under, you know, the guy started Walmart, <laughs> you know, in disguise. You know, it wasn't like, you know, Bill Gates was, you know, driving through the parking lot, throwing $100 bills out the window. I don't know where it came from. And so the Lord taught me a great lesson of faith. You just do what he's calling you to do. You watch what I can do. Take the little you have, and for me, it was just making myself available, and watch what I can do to take care of that. Can I encourage you then? You'll always need love. You'll always need faith. You'll always need Jesus, and he wants to do great things in and through your lives. Would you pray with me? Well, Father, this morning, we thank you for the example and the encouragement here in the Gospel of Matthew. Lord, I love the disciples because they're just like us. <laughs> I, I, I put myself in Peter's sandals and I can imagine looking at Jesus when he says, you give them something. They didn't think, what in the world, Lord? And then watch in amazement as you took the little that they had available and blessed it and broke it and distributed it and made it more than sufficient to meet the needs of every person that was present. Lord, I pray today that you would stretch each of our faiths Father, you called every man, every woman in this place and who will hear this study later, whether listening online now or in the future, you've called us to a ministry and you've equipped us by your spirit. Lord, grant us the faith then to believe you for the impossible so that we might be your vessels to do what is humanly impossible to advance your kingdom in the world in these last days. Oh, Lord, we know that time is short and we want to be used to effectively reach the lost. We want to see thousands come to faith in Christ. And who knows, Lord, whether or not you might use us to be the vessel through which you do that. And so, Father, for all of us this morning, we surrender ourselves to you fresh and new and ask, Lord, would you fill us with that faith and that love and remind us that we'll always need you, Jesus, to do what you've called us to do. And so, Lord, we commit this to you and we commit ourselves to you fresh and new. And we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Paul Lester. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Paul's teaching ministry by visiting ccmodesto.com.